And now, Virgin Most Powerful Radio is pleased to present Hands-On Apologetics with renowned Catholic author and apologist, Gary Machuda. And welcome, everybody, to Hands-On Apologetics. You have entered into Virgil Most Powerful's Apologetics Dojo. And it's great to be with you today, Thursday, rocking and rolling through the week. Uh, been doing a lot of great programs in apologetics, good discussions. Today, we're going to have a fantastic one. In fact, uh, we're going to have a brand new guest. And this is, uh, a, this is where I have to give you guys props. I, I put the word out that... Uh, contact me let me know somebody's doing a fantastic job on social media love to have them on the show and uh so i'm very pleased to know that that, to announce actually we're gonna be talking with emily today and emily um is a very interesting person she's a catholic convert uh she was engrossed in apologetics in the past year and a half and out of uh a love for apologetics. Uh, she made a Catholic Discord server, and and it now has twenty five hundred members in it, and a TikTok account which has now get this more than thirty five thousand followers. Okay. Now, what's amazing about Emily is she's nineteen years old. So I, I can't wait to interview her because uh, man, talk about. Someone who's uh, uh, doing the work of the Lord. Man, I can't wait to hear her story, how she became Catholic, how she uh, got into apologetics and decided to uh, go on social media and so on. And uh, it's going to be it's going to be a great, great interview. So um, that's going to be coming up on the other side of the break. On this side of the break, we're going to do what we always do. We're going to do our Finding the Fallacy. Today's Finding the Fallacy is the appeal to tradition. And we're going to also meet an early church father. Today's early church father is St. Leo the Great. So it's going to be a great early church father, Pope St. Leo the Great. All right. So, um, yes, uh, it was on Sunrise Morning Show this morning talking about my last book, um, which is Revolt Against Reality. And by the way, I just sent off uh, the manuscript of my next book to the publisher so please keep that in your prayers because uh, it's amazing how much spiritual warfare you get when you're publishing good solid catholic apologetics um you know uh i remember way back when i first started doing apologetics i always i believed in spiritual warfare but kind of like in a vague uh way in which you know only powerful saints like padre pio dealt with uh you know harassment and so on until I published my first book, and then I realized, why is everything going haywire in my life? And I just put two to get two together. And once prayers started uh, happening, I got people to pray for the project. Like all that stuff cleared up, and uh, went to press. And and that's been the same, pretty much for almost every book I've written. There's always been some sort of spiritual pushback. So now that I actually put the script into the hands of the publisher, um, uh, please keep us in your prayers um, because uh, we need uh, need protection and need God to bless this project. You know, if it's according with its will, 
and um, I'll keep you posted. By the way, the the working title, and I really pray the publisher doesn't change it, is Message Received. How we know that uh, we have accurate information about Jesus. So I'm basically vindicating the truthfulness of the Gospels. And uh, I'm, I'm taking a, a lot of stuff that has been forgotten and pushed aside that's really important and make it into, I think, is a very formidable case for uh, the, the truth, you know, of uh, Christ in that we, we have true access to uh, what he said and did. And, of course, this is aimed at uh, apologetics for uh, maybe uh, Christians who aren't Catholic and skeptics and atheists as well. Or just maybe searchers who don't really see what's the big deal about Jesus and because uh, we don't have any accurate uh, information about him or something like that. This book is really designed to get them thinking. So please keep them, keep that project in your prayers. I truly appreciate it. All right. Um, also want to mention if, um, you want to, uh, share the show with others, a great way to do that is go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. And, uh, that is the flagship website of Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And you could check out this program. You could download it. You share it with your friends and all the other programs too, that Virgin Most Powerful produces right there on virginmostpowerfulradio.org. Do some evangelism from the comfort of your computer chair. Also, I uh, want to give the official dojo mailbox, which is questions at handsonapologetics.com. Um, that is the way to get a hold of me, folks. Uh, it's weird. I get emails from mailboxes I never set up. And that's that's always a little scary because you wonder, uh, what about the other ones that are out there I don't know about? So uh, use questions at handsonapologetics.com. I do get the emails. I do answer them. And by the way, if you know somebody who's rocking and rolling on social media, Please pass the name along, and I'll see if uh, we can get him as a guest as well. So, okay, I think that takes care of housekeeping. Let's go to find our fallacy for today, which is the appeal to tradition. Appeal to tradition, also known as argumentum ad antiquitatum. you got to love the Latin there. The appeal to antiquity or the appeal to common practice. It is the claim in which a thesis is deemed correct on the basis of of correlation with the past or present tradition. Okay, so you have to be careful here because in Catholic apologetics, when we talk about tradition, many times we're talking about sacred tradition, and that's not what this fallacy is about. The fallacy basically is that someone uses as evidence that something is correct simply because it has been assumed correct for a long time or it's been a common practice. Okay, now that might be a good bias uh, bias to have in favor of an argument, but it isn't proof that uh, a particular argument is true or wise or good, right? So um, the appeal to tradition, is it used a lot today? I know Catholics are accused of appealing to tradition, but again, I think that's a equivocation on the tradition. Um, no, not, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe if I think of something, I'll let you guys know later in the week, but off the top of my head, I don't recall running across that particular fallacy, recently at least. But nevertheless, you know, the great thing about these segments is it's you can put that in your toolkit, and maybe somebody will make an appeal to tradition, and you can help them out and show them that's not a good way to argue. 
All right, let's go to meet our early church father today, who's a great early church father. It is St. Leo the Great, more uh, specifically, Pope St. Leo the Great, uh, who reigned from 440 to 461. Pope St. Leo the Great was probably a Tuscan or of Tuscan origin, though he uh, calls himself a Roman under Pope Sixtus III and Celestine before him. Leo was an archdeacon in the Diocese of Rome and was an official, on an official mission to Gaul, which is modern-day France, when he learned that Sixtus had died and that he himself uh, was chosen to succeed to the See of Peter. Hastening back to Rome, he was consecrated on September 29, 440. <coughs> the date of his death is uncertain, except that it was rather late in the year for uh, 61 AD. Leo is the first pope who did not die a martyr's death. Now think about that. So this is 461, and that's the first pope to die who didn't die a martyr's death. In 1754, he was declared a doctor of the church by Pope Benedict XIV. Leo's reign was a burdensome one, in which he was which he quitted himself well, enduring invasions of vandals and Huns from without, schisms and heresies from within. Chief among them was the monophysism, of uh, which uh, he saw something of it already, and. Um, after uh, this graceful procedure of the Robert Synod of Ephesus, it was Leo who called the meeting a convention of robbers, hence the, uh, the uh, Robert Council. The name had clung to it ever since, and the Council of Chalcedon in 451 was expected to repair the situation and it did not clearly condemn both, since it didn't clearly condemn both Nestorius and Monophysism. By the way, monophysism is the heresy that Christ only had one will or one nature, that he had a divine human nature that was kind of mixed together into a kind of third nature. Unfortunately, uh, misapprehension grew in the East, and Chalcedon had contradicted the Council of Ephesus in uh, 431 AD, and it was Pope Leo's Epistle to Flavin, also known as the Tome of Leo had uh, condemned the Christology of St. Cyril of Alexandria. Neither supposed fact was true, of course, and a little more than prudent, a little more prudence and circumspection would have made the matters clear. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm going to just skip down to the end. Leo's literary remains, that is, his letters and his sermons, are better preserved than any other pope before him. Apparently, uh, Leo kept a chancellery. And in the chancellery, they had archives. So for us apologists who want to use Pope St. Leo's uh, letters and sermons, uh, we have a lot of those that have been preserved because he had an archive. And uh, in fact, there are 173 items, of which 143 are pope from the Pope himself, uh, are letters that you can access and use in apologetics. And that is our early church father for today. Pope St. Leo I, otherwise known as Leo the Great. All right, coming up on the other side of the break, we're going to talk with Emily about her conversion to the Catholic faith and her work promoting the faith on social media. Stay tuned. 
Now, back to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. If you'd like to join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Here's Gary. And welcome back, everybody. Hands-On Apologetics and social media, apologetics, evangelism. These are things that we ought to be engaged in. And that's why I'm pleased to have Emily on. Emily, by the way, is a 19-year-old Catholic convert who got engrossed in Catholic apologetics, which, you know, uh, we're buddies in that uh, respect, certainly. Uh, and, in fact, loved apologetics so much that she made a Catholic Discord server, which now serves over uh, 1,500 members. And also on her TikTok account, she's doing apologetics and has uh, more than 35,000 followers. So, Emily, welcome to Hands-On Apologetics. Thank you so much, Gary, for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. I, I'm pleased to meet you because it, you're doing more at the age of 19 than I probably did you know, in the last decade or so of working full-time in apologetics. It's really exciting. Oh, I appreciate that, but I, I doubt that. Honestly, you've done so, so some amazing work. And I just wanted to let you know this. I don't know when I would have the time, but I love your book, Why Catholic Bibles Are Bigger. Um, I think it's so, it was so informative in helping me explain the canon issue to a lot of Protestants. So I really do appreciate the work you're doing for the faith as well. Wow. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. Somebody bought the book. Wow. I should be getting a royalty check. <laughs> um, yeah. So you're a convert. Um, so tell us a little bit about your conversion. Um, how were you raised? Yeah, so I wasn't raised in any really particular faith. Um, I would have like considered myself a Christian as I got a little bit older because my mom would occasionally take us to like a Baptist or a non-denominational church. So, um, and that was when I was around like seven or eight and they gave me a Bible. And so I would read it, try to at least being a young child. Um, and then as I got, you know, to the age 12, 13, I still would have called myself a Christian, but I certainly was not living the virtuous life that the Bible calls us to live. So, um, that kind of remained for a few years. And then, um, my sister was invited to a non-denominational church and I would go to Sunday service on and off for like the past, I don't know, few years. Um, but I'd never been to like a youth night group, which is on Wednesdays. So I started going to this church kind of just as a social event. I wasn't taking it too seriously. And ultimately, after going for around a year or so, I started to realize, you know, I am not truly living how Christ and the Bible calls me to live. And I can't keep, you know, having this kind of double face with, I'm going to call myself a Christian, but I'm not going to live according to what Christ called us to live by. So um, when I was around 14, that's when I um, decided to give my life to Christ and truly follow him. And um, it remained that way for th like three and a half years. I was super involved in my non-denominational church and I loved it. I didn't ever consider leaving non-denominationalism um, until I met a Catholic who actually knew theology and knew what they were talking about. And I started um, kind of started questioning my own theology. And wow, I, I realized that um, Christians with, among themselves will disagree a lot theologically. And I didn't realize that until then. So I started to look into different um, theological areas and look into the early Christians and what they believed. 
And ultimately, that led me to believe that certainly my non-denominational church was not um, the church established by Christ, the church the early Christians were part of in the first centuries. Um, and then eventually I came to realize, well, it's not Protestantism either. Um, it is the Catholic Church. So. Wow. Oh, okay. Uh, so you're, you're raised basically in a non-denominational Protestant home um, that wasn't um, um, super church going, but occasionally, right? And then uh, it's through the, the youth group that you became convinced that you need to give your life to Christ and reform your life at the age of 14. That's pretty remarkable, I think. Or is that typical? Well, I'm not, I'm not too sure just because like, I feel like my experience with meeting, like I online, I've met a lot of really young, pious, devout um, Christians, mm -hmm. but you know, I went, I grew up going to public school and it almost felt like the numbers for that were so small to find, you know, somebody that was really true to their faith and lived it out. Um, so I know that they're out there certainly, but in terms of like my like experience in real life, I think it's hard to find. So, yeah, yeah, that's because I, just thinking back. I mean, with my kids too, when they're in high school, um, fourteen, they're they're already making plans on getting their driver's license. You know, uh, proms. It's like that's the main focus. So it's really cool that you know at that age, that uh, you know you had this kind of like self reflection and decision to get serious about your faith. Um, so that's really cool. So you're in the youth group. Um, so what did you think about Catholics at this point? Um, were Catholics any different than any other group or, uh, was there anti-Catholicism at all? Yeah. So I would say I wasn't too anti-Catholic. I just think I didn't really think about it that much because I didn't know really any Catholics. Um, my great grandfather, God bless his soul. He was really the last practicing Catholic in my family. Um, and so he, he grew up in a time period where his priest didn't really encourage him to, I don't know, read the Bible on his own and kind of get into theology and understand the faith in that way. Um, and so he didn't really know much about how to defend the faith. So I just never really took it too seriously. Um, even though he was a, he was a holy man, he just didn't know how to explain his beliefs. And so yeah. that's why I didn't. And then the Catholics I did know at school they didn't practice, they weren't virtuous. And so just for the longest time, I didn't take it seriously because I just kind of thought, well, people who are in Christ's true church, they're going to be able to um, live that virtuous life and reflect that. And I just didn't meet too many Catholics that did that. So that's kind of why I never really, I wasn't anti-Catholic, but I also just didn't really care and I didn't take Catholicism seriously. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and I think that's pretty typical too. And. And then this uh, person came in your life that uh, is a Catholic who actually knew their stuff. Was, I'm just curious. Was it like a coworker or um, somebody at school? So it was actually someone online, which I think is oh, what oh. kind of planted that seed of me wanting to kind of evangelize online, because that's kind of the way that I was introduced to Catholicism and what led me to convert ultimately. Yeah. So, yeah, that, yeah, let's, let's pursue that because, uh, so, uh, you know, here you're giving your life to Christ. Um, so were you doing witnessing online or, um, you know, uh, doing evangelism or, you know, how did you get interested in doing online stuff in the first place? Yeah. So 
prior to becoming Catholic, I didn't really do it too much um, just because I don't think I would have been able to provide like a good defense of my theology because I don't even think I would have had like any theology or theological tradition I could have said that I really aligned with. Um, mm -hmm. And so before that, no. But when becoming Catholic and realizing the Catholic Church was true, um, I just kept uh, on Discord. That's that's the app that I was introduced to somebody who was Catholic. I started to kind of talk to other people on that app. Um, and then after being baptized into the church and receiving my sacraments, um, that summer, I then decided to go to TikTok and kind of, I didn't, I was going on TikTok almost as not something serious. Like I just was like, oh, I'll just try this out and see what happens. And then ultimately, um, the account on there grew a lot. Uh, so that's kind of my primary way now of reaching people because there's a lot of people my age that use TikTok. So I just think it's a good platform um, to kind of reach people in my age group. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, there's just so many different uh, social media outlets. It's hard to keep up with, you know, all the different ones. I, I try to focus on YouTube. And, of course, I have this show, which uh, I believe the uh, the podcast are on Rumble. But, I mean, outside of that, Facebook and Twitter, maybe. But uh, I'm not so familiar with TikTok. Uh, what exactly is TikTok and what's Discord? Yeah, so TikTok is, um, it's an app where you can post videos, um, but they're usually short. So they're between, usually they're less than one minute, um, but um, you can post up to like three minutes. And now they even let you post up to 10 minutes. That's recent though. Um, and so it's really just like a video app. And you can also do live streams on there where you can actually add guests who are watching the stream into your live stream. So that's typically what I do. I have something behind me that says like, um, why aren't you Catholic or um, baptism is necessary for salvation or there's no salvation outside of the Catholic church. And I'll have guests come in and challenge me on that or discuss with me or ask questions about Catholicism. Um, so that's typically what I like to do with the app. And then I'll post videos kind of defending the sacraments, defending Catholic theology. Um, and Discord is more of like a texting app. You can also voice chat on there, but you can join things called servers, which are like very large group chats with that have, you know, anywhere between hundreds to thousands of people on the server. And there's different channels with different categories and you can d debate with people or discuss with them on certain issues. And there's like, I have a Catholic related server, but there's, you know, just religion in general servers or really any type of subject, there's a server for it. So. Right. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Um, you know, I'm smiling because I'm thinking, man, that is such a huge quantum leap to, you know, to come into the church, study apologetics, and then have the confidence to jump online and start debating. I mean, if, if it were me, I would not show my face or identity. I'd do it all secret, right? That way I wouldn't, if I made a fool of myself, no one would know that was me. I was making a fool of myself. That's awesome that you feel called to that. Um, were you nervous or did, was this very natural that you just wanted to jump in, you know, and start debating people? Well, I think that it was natural just because of, um, I mean, I've always, even when I was a non-denominational, I did like to try to kind of um, convince my friends and kind of maybe like a debate with them a little bit who are like atheists. And I mean, back then my arguments weren't good. I didn't know about the intellectual tradition 
in Christianity in general. Um, but I would still try to kind of reason with them. And so I think I've always had that in me, but then like finally getting the materials to do that, you know, knowing the intellectual tradition and Christianity and philosophy and, and all of that, um, I think it became natural for me to kind of want to defend the faith because now I had access to these things that I didn't have before and I wish I would have had. Um, so I, I don't think I really thought too much about it in terms of like, oh, you know, what if I, I don't know, what if I embarrass myself or something? Maybe a little bit, but because a lot of the people, especially on TikTok, they don't study philosophy. They don't, they don't really have that kind of, uh, they don't really look into that area of Christianity in general. And so um, usually when I'm talking to people, I'm not hearing anything I haven't heard before. It's the typical Protestant, you know, you worship Mary and where does, why do you call your priest father and stuff like that? So. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of low hanging fruit, but still, uh, you know, kudos to you though, that, that you, uh, that you can go in there and mix it up, you know, and, uh, especially on social media. That's great. Uh, I hear the music coming up. Uh, we'll just hit pause there. We were chatting with Emily and talking about, um, Basically, your conversion story and how she does apologetics online at Catholic.com. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And welcome back, everybody. We're chatting with Emily of Catholic.Converts on TikTok, talking about her conversion story, talking about her online ministry. And so, Emily... Everybody, it seems like converts always have the the first blip on the screen that, wow, you know, that's where Catholicism seems to be right on this issue. I didn't expect that. And then, then it kind of unravels from there as they look further into the faith. Did you, What was the first thing that kind of caught your attention about the Catholic Church? When um, I started looking into Catholic theology... Um, I was kind of different. So I didn't like focus on one issue. I was kind of looking into like a lot of issues at the same time, like Eucharist, baptism, uh, Mariology. And so I wouldn't say there was really like a first thing that I kind of like grasped. I think like learning the concept of like purgatory and like baptismal regeneration, um, that all clicked with me very quickly. I don't think I had too many objections because in context of the scriptures, I think it made sense. Um, mm -hmm. And so I didn't really see any big objections to that. But I think the main thing that really got me was the Eucharist, just because, um, I mean, looking at the writings of like Ignatius of Antioch um, and the subsequent church fathers, it's very clear they held um, the Eucharist to be the true flesh and blood of Christ. And um, as a non-denominational, my church taught me it was just purely symbolic, right? Um, it was a symbol of, of Jesus's body and blood, but it wasn't really his body and blood. And I didn't understand that um, because why was it so significant in the New Testament um, when it's just a symbolic gesture? I didn't I didn't get that. Um, and it was say, it was kind of the s same thing with baptism. I didn't understand the significance of baptism if it was just a symbol. Um, and so looking into what the church father said about those issues and even like the typology with the Eucharist and the old covenant, um, the Paschal Lamb and things like that, that uh, really clicked with me. And I think after that, it was really hard for me to say I could ever go back to being a non-denominational because I think the Catholic position of these things just made so much sense. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. 
So you, you already mentioned my book. By the way, thank you for the promotion. But uh, did, uh, were you reading books? Were you just surfing online doing research? Um, you know, what kind of resources did you use while you were uh, seeking? Yeah, so I think I um, looked first. It was online materials, just articles. Um, and then I got a few books. I got um, Jimmy Akin's The Fathers Know Best. Um and some other books that kind of touched on um, certain aspects of Catholicism. I, I think it was mostly watching um, like debates on YouTube, um, watching videos on YouTube, and then also like reading articles. But um, I did I did start buying certain books and kind of getting into them as well. Um, but they weren't really after when I started getting into books. It wasn't really to like convince me at that point. I think I was already convinced. It was more to kind of just like dive deeper into Catholic theology and things of that line. Okay, yeah. So you start reading the early church fathers. Um, how did that happen? As a non-denom, I imagine the early church fathers probably aren't brought up a lot in sermons and things like that. Yeah, no, I, I had never, if I'm being honest, I'd never even thought about them as a non-denominational. And it, it bothers me to this day that I didn't question, like, how do we know that these books in the Bible are the ones that, you know, are supposed to be there? Like, I didn't ever really question these things. Um, and I remember the first time I learned about in history class that Martin Luther removed seven books from his canon. Uh, I remember I was so confused and that really upset me because I didn't know about that until that point. And I was at that point, I'd been a non-denominational for, I think, a couple years. So the fact that I was just hearing out about that and I didn't understand why. That was really the only time I ever kind of questioned it. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, so I wasn't ever familiar with the early Christians and learning about, okay, we have the writings of, of these people. I was like, that makes so much sense. You know, why wouldn't we? Um, yeah. So I, I mean, it was just when I was introduced again to this um, Catholic person in um, Catholic theology where I started looking into them prior to that, never probably would have thought to look into them. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so all the topics that you, you researched, it sounds like the Eucharist was the one that like drew you to say, you know what, I need to become Catholic. Yeah, that's correct. Um, I, I think it was because, I mean, understanding the Eucharist and how it really is Jesus I and mean, it's the greatest gift Christ has left us with, really. So I really I wanted it. I desired it um, and I wanted to be with Christ. And I think from talking to other people who converted as well, that's a lot that, I mean, there's a lot of similarity with my experience in other people's because I mean, how can you, when you know it really is Jesus or it even could be Jesus, how could you say you don't want that? Or you, you're not even going to, you know, try to pursue that and hope that it's real, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I always wondered that too. And, uh, but it's awesome that it happened with you. Now, when you decided to, uh, to join the church, uh, what did? How was your family? Uh, what was their reaction? How was your reaction from your friends? Yeah. So um, at this point, um, COVID. So COVID had kind of like brought an end to me going to non-denominational churches, just because. Um, I mean, we couldn't attend church for one, and I ended up moving, and so I didn't find a church that I was able to attend at that point. So I had stopped going to church for like, I think a year at this point almost. Um, but I, obviously I still, you know, tr I still read the Bible and I still uh, pursued God. I just 
when church was just a pastor speaking on stage and I felt like, okay, I could do this at home. Right. Which I didn't understand the significance of church then, you know? Um, and so I didn't, I wasn't really connected with my old non-denominational group as I was previously, which I mean, I think that's, that was a good thing looking back just because that could have been something that caused me to not convert because I really liked my church community previously. Um, but in terms of my family, they, my family uh, didn't really like attend, even though they would consider themselves Christian, my mom and my stepdad, they wouldn't like attend church weekly or anything like that. And so they weren't like thrilled that I was converting, but they were still like, okay, well, you're still Christian and that's fine. So um, my whole family came to my baptism um, on last year when I was joined into the church. So it was nice having their support in that way. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah. Finally, something good coming off COVID, I guess. <laughs> um, but at least they gave you time to, to kind of focus and reboot. And again, you know, you're away from peer pressure so you can, you know, deal with these honestly. And then uh, and then uh, you come into the church and you come in like gangbusters with the, the uh, um, debating and, and doing videos and all sorts of stuff. Um <laughs> Getting started in social media, that's tough because you don't have any followers. You're just basically not known out there. How did that work out for you? I mean, did did you have a specific plan or you just decided I'm just going to make videos and I don't care who watches them? Yeah, I didn't have a plan. It seriously was just kind of on a whim on TikTok, at least, where I was like, okay, I'm just going to I'm just going to do this and we'll see what happens. And um, I actually... Like I would post videos really about like Protestant theology and kind of challenging Protestants to hopefully make responses to the things I was saying. And I mean, it worked. I, I don't know. God, God, God <laughs> blessed it, I guess, because it, it grew from there. And yeah, they were obviously there's a lot of people on there that don't like me because either. I mean, there there's a lot of anti-Catholic people on there in general and in the world. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of people that don't like my positions. And so I think that's what that's at least on TikTok. that's usually how people get so many followers is when they have controversial takes or there's a lot of people that don't like what they're saying um Mm -hmm. usually that's how platforms tend to grow at least from what i've seen so yeah well hey you picked uh, catholic apologetics that's uh that's a pretty big lightning rod issue so uh doing uh defending the faith especially in this environment um so uh, how long have you been doing stuff on TikTok? So it's, it's literally been just a little over a year. It was last summer when I started. So Wow. Wow. And you got 35,000 followers, more than that. That's yeah. amazing. Wow. Yeah, fantastic. Now, um, so it's only been that long. Um, do, you, do you ever get feedback like, you know what, you made me think, or maybe uh, I was going to leave the church and decided not to, or anything like that. How, see, I don't, I'm not really familiar with TikTok, whether uh, you can do those personal messages or anything like that, but uh, what kind of fruit have you experienced? Yeah, so um, it's it's really amazing. There's been, I've had tens of people tell me that, you know, they were considering leaving the church and becoming Protestant, and they found my account, and it cause them to stay in the church. I've met people that were Protestant and even there's been a few who were Eastern Orthodox, which I don't really make too much content directed at Orthodoxy, but there's been um, some Orthodox Christians as well that told me 
that my account helped them now to start RCIA and begin the conversion process. So it's been really beautiful to see, to hear that from people. Um, it's, it seriously lights up my entire day because I don't, I mean, the fact that God could use something like that, just some social media account to really change maybe someone's eternal fate. It's, it's so beautiful. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, when God allows us to see the fruit, a lot of time we don't see the fruit. So you're probably affecting a lot of people. They just don't contact you or let you know. But, you know, whenever God allows us to see it, it's like, you know, pep pills or something. You just want to go out and do even more because you know it's you're not alone, you know, that you're helping people. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, obviously, I think the hate definitely, like, is, like, kind of out ratios the good that comes out from it. <laughs> That's true. But I think, yeah, but the good that comes out of it makes it so worth it. Like, even if it was just one person that would all be worth it. Every, all those dumb comments that people leave, um, it's, that makes it worth it to me. So yeah, that's yeah. why there's a lot of people that will say, I don't know how you deal with the hate. And I don't know how you're so patient with these people that say terrible things about the church. It's like, well, this makes it all worth it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're chatting with Emily who has a amazing TikTok account. Uh, just check it out. It's catholic.converts on TikTok, and uh, we'll come right back. I want to dive a little bit more in uh, Apologetics Online. Stay tuned, everybody. Now, back to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. If you'd like to join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Here's Gary. And welcome, everybody, back to Hands-On Apologetics. We are uh, chatting with Emily, who is doing uh, wonderful work in apologetics on social media. And, uh, yeah, we we ended the last segment talking about how do you deal with, uh, you know, people who are angry and upset and mean and, and uh, that type of stuff. Now, on your platform, so TikTok, uh, how many times do you do live streams? Oh. Yeah. So, um, so typically it, I think it depends on how busy I am. So I, I do go to university currently. So usually during school year, it's not too frequent, maybe one time a week, maybe two times a week, depending on how much time I have. Um, during the summer, I've been trying to do multiple times a week. So anywhere between like, usually around like five times a week, I'll try to go live. Um, just because that's, I think is the best way to reach people to let them hear me talk. Um, kind of for a longer period of time about Catholic theology and let them hear the different arguments um, against certain Protestants that may come on there and talk with me. So, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So do you have a certain format and how you do it? I mean, is, is it just a straight presentation or do you do a presentation and open up for questions or how do you generally run those? Yeah, so um, usually there's no like strict format. I kind of just start it and depending on what the comments are saying. So there's like comments, a lot of comments rolling, um, you know, every few seconds. And so I try to address some of the comments. People will ask me questions about Catholic theology. Um, usually it's kind of me just reiterating myself every time because, you know, a lot of people have the same type of questions. Like, why do you ask the saints to pray for you? Um, why do Catholics honor Mary? And they'll ask about like why we have statues in our parishes and stuff like that. 
So usually just kind of me reiterating the same responses um, each stream. But um, then I'll eventually, usually after like 20 minutes of me addressing comments and stuff like that, I'll let guests in to kind of talk with me. Um, and usually that can be all over the place. I don't know who's coming in. I don't know if they're a Protestant or if they're an atheist or what their background is typically. Um, so what they say can be completely varied. And I'll hear all types of, uh, if I'm just being blunt, crazy things on there about um, historical facts, which aren't, you know, about like Constantine starting the church and stuff like that. <laughs> You'll hear all kinds of crazy things. So, Wow. Wow. So, uh, yeah, so it, it just opens up to anything because anybody can be on there. You'd never know. Um, yeah, so... Uh, so did you, I'm sure you've had people who you invited on and then they started start ranting against the church, you know, how do you deal with, you know, the anger stuff? Do you just click them off and say, you know, let's do a different person or do you interact with them? Yeah, that happens a lot. And I try, so I'll try to tell them like, look, this isn't like your platform to preach anti-Catholic hate. Like let's stick to one topic if you want to have a conversation. And I'll tell them, like, if you're going to interrupt me and you're not going to actually listen, then I'm just going to kick you off. And so sometimes that'll actually work and they'll say, OK, sorry, I'll let you talk. Um, but sometimes they don't stop and then I will just kick them off because it's not really productive for anybody to listen to and for me to talk with them because they're not there to truly have a conversation, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's something I learned, too, is that there are a group of people who all they want to do is not have you heard. They just want to preach and they, they, don't, they don't care about anything you have to say. They just want to kind of silence you by asking really long, you know, not questions, but really speeches, right? So you do kind of have to discern whether this person's just very passionate about something or are they really, they have an agenda they're trying to get across. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So how do, how do you discern that? <laughs> I mean, it is hard to figure out sometimes. Yeah, it is. Um, I think usually you kind of, I think you can, it, it gets kind of easier to tell as the more you do it. Um, usually things that they're saying, if they make like small jabs or you see, you notice that they're going off topic a lot, like they're just bringing up random stuff like, mm -hmm. oh, and by the way, you know, you can go straight to God. You don't need a priest. And like, they'll just make these like random comments and you just kind of realize like, okay, yeah, they're not on here to actually get to a point or to really hear you out on what, why you believe this. They just kind of already made up in their mind the Catholic Church is wrong, and they either want to make you look bad in front of other people or they just kind of, I don't know, want like an ego boost or something that they're really, you know, tearing down this Catholic in their arguments. So, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, the other thing, you know, sometimes I like people like that. I love people that are passionate about, I mean, they might be flat out wrong, but at least they believe in objective truth and it's it's worth arguing about. I find the hardest people to talk to are the ones that just don't care, you know, trying to get to those people. It's like talking to a wall. Yeah, and unfortunately, I mean, that's very common, at least among my my age group. There's a lot of people that don't believe in objective truth. They, I get a lot of comments all the time where when I have in my background, like the Catholic church is the true church or something like that. They'll say, wow, you believe that you have the truth. That's, that's arrogant. Like they think that I'm being prideful or arrogant for saying I know the truth. 
and, and I always yeah. tell them, I, I usually have to say every stream, why would I believe something that I don't believe that I don't think is true? Right. If I thought another religion was true, I wouldn't be Catholic. So that's not arrogant. Everyone has a position they think is true and that's why they believe it. Um, so that's, yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I think that's a big problem among my generation is so many people think you're prideful, you're arrogant. If you claim to have found the true religion or the true belief or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. To my shame in my youth, I was one of those truth for you, truth for me people. And, you know, for, in my mind, I thought, wow, I'm so tolerant and so loving and, and these people are so intolerant, you know, saying that they, they know what's true and what the Bible says. Now I look back and I just, you know, I'm so ashamed of myself, but I, I understand the, the mindset, but it's great if you can get somebody who, like yourself who knows their stuff and can charitably kind of correct them on, you know, what, why truth is important and we can know the truth. Yeah, it, exactly. And, um, I, I mean, I think it's going to take a long time for people to start to realize, uh, in general, like this whole worldview that is becoming so normalized among my generation, it's just not working because I mean, how are we going to operate when we don't know truth and truth is something really that doesn't exist at that point. How do human beings operate on that? And I think I, at least I pray that after a while, people are just going to start to realize, yeah, this, this doesn't make sense. And this isn't, you know, this isn't leading us anywhere good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You hope so. <laughs> Uh, you know, we can always pray for that. Um, but man, it's just getting crazier and crazier. So of all the topics that are commonly brought, I know that, that you bring up the topics, but, uh, the biggest issues of all, what, what are they? Is it Mary, uh, saints? Yeah. So usually it's something about the saints, um, or it's something about the statues. They think that we have graven images, um, and in our churches and um, also like confession of sins to the priests. I think those are really the three, the three big things. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so what's the hardest issues to address, especially when you're doing live stream, obviously you got to keep it sh fairly short, right? Uh, how long are your live streams, by the way? Anywhere between usually one and a half to even sometimes I've gone to like three hours, which was a lot. But <laughs> yeah, there's usually when I, I have to end the streams when there's still people waiting to talk to me. And I always feel so bad because some of them have been waiting for like 30 minutes to even like over an hour. But wow. uh, yeah, I mean, I can't I can't be on there forever. So right. Um, right. Yeah. But yeah. usually... I'll try to get the conversation with Protestants to Sola Scriptura and to the canon issue because, uh, and I, I mean, you know that issue well, but um, I don't think Protestants really have any good argument they can present um, to justify the 66 book canon and how they know the Bible is the word of God. So I always try to bring it back to that because um, that's at the root of the issue, right? They're always going to disagree with something that's that Catholics believe in because they'll say, oh, well, I don't see that in the Bible. And so I just try to get them back. Okay, well, why is that your your standard? And how do you know your Bible is the correct one? Right. Um, yeah. So that's usually where it gets productive. Yeah, yeah, very good. And yeah, so, hey, you're, you are an expert because that's exactly what you do. You, you lead people to the strong points and, and take them to the mat when it comes to that. You're absolutely right about the canon issue and Sola Scriptura. Um, <laughs> 
most, I, but those are the two things I think most Protestants aren't even aware of, you know, uh, they're totally oblivious. So it's almost like you, you have to inform them and then show them the problems with it. You know what I mean? And that, that can be difficult sometimes too. Yeah, no, exactly. I think that, um, I mean, as a, as at least when I was a non-denominational, I didn't realize that there were other positions besides sola scriptura. Um, so I think that there are a lot of non-denominationals and um, Protestants in general that will come to know Christ and they come to know him in a Protestant church. And because they're constantly taught this over and over again regarding the Bible is the word of God and they're given a Bible and it has 66 books in it, they don't really question it. Um, and so I think starting that conversation and helping them understand, look, you know, 60% of Christians, Orthodox Catholics, we don't believe in Sola Scriptura. Um, historically, the early Christians didn't believe in it. Uh, so we need to kind of help them understand that. And then, yeah, get them to try to reason themselves why they believe in those things. And I think usually when you do that and they start to kind of question and they understand, well, I don't really know why I believe that. That's where it becomes productive, at least on their part. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So, you know, I'm going to have to have you back on the show and, and we'll pick a topic and, and you could give us the lowdown on, uh, you know, apologetics on that topic, because this has been a ton of fun. Uh, so uh, how do people follow you? How to how do people, um, you know, uh, find your stuff? Yeah. So um, if you just download TikTok, you can just search up in the bar um, Catholic.converts and my account should come up. And in my, in my account, um, my bio has a link tree and I have like my Instagram, my discord server, um, and an email on there for people to reach me. So yeah, that's, that's the way, um, typically I reach people is through TikTok. Okay. Very good. Now, uh, we didn't talk much about discord. Is there uh, a way, do you have like a special channel on discord or anything like that? I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, um, the way that you could join it, you, you, you'd have to go to, it's called disboard.com, and then you would search in the bar um, Catholic Converts. My, my server name is the same as my TikTok name. That's where that's why I chose that. Awesome. So, yeah. Yeah, great to remember. All right. Well, Emily, thank you so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Gary. All right. And that's Emily. Yeah, check it out. Support her, folks. I tell people about her ministry because it's... We need it. We need uh, all, all the tone that the Lord gives us and exciting stuff. Wow. The hour's flown. Coming up next, High Impact Catholic Talk coming at you with the Terry and Jesse Show. Thank you so much for listening. And God willing, we'll be back again tomorrow. Please take a call. Bye-bye, everyone. Take care.